0: Still my lifter of my head. Amen. Awesome choir. Thank you guys so much. If you want to be turning again in your Bible to the book of Ephesians in chapter 2. Ephesians in chapter 2 last week, we started looking at part 1 of a message. We looked at God's inescapable love, the glory and the lifter of my head. Man, I love that. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter how bad we fail, how many mistakes we make. And things we do wrong before or after we're saved, there is nothing that we can do that is beyond the reach of a long-suffering God that is outside of the realm of God's love, that He loves us in spite of us no matter what. Isn't that exciting? There's absolutely no way to cause God to not love you. For those who are lost and on their way to hell, if they die in that state, God will cast someone that He loves into an eternal hell, not because He doesn't love them, but because they rejected the free gift. God loves us in an amazing way. So last week, we looked at three women who played a vital role in the New Testament, and the life of Jesus Christ, and in the miracles, and they're recorded there in the Word of God. And even though they play a huge role in the Bible, the Bible doesn't even give us their name. As a matter of fact, we referred back to a couple of women from the week before when we, we looked at the Shunammite woman that that took care of Elisha, the prophet. And we look there at the widow at Zarephath that for the last couple of years prepared meals for the great prophet Elijah. And if you take that into account, we had five women last week, two in the Old Testament and three in the New. None of them's names are given, but they are of vital importance here in the Word of God. This morning... As I said last week, I want to look at part two of God's inescapable love. Ephesians chapter two is our text, verse number one through seven. So I'll read them again this morning. It says, and you, hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, we are very thankful that that word, WERE is placed in there. That's not who we are anymore. We're not dead anymore. We're not bound by trespasses and sins anymore. We were there. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you're saved. Hath raised us up together, made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Father God, thank you so much for this incredible book thank you for this letter that you have handed down through the generations to bring to us thank you god for your people the jews describes the god who recorded the word and kept it intact and handed it over god i thank you for printing presses that has put it out that we can hold a copy of your love letter to us in our hand thank you for the promises thank you for the assurance thank you for all that it gives us god you said that we can come boldly into the throne room of grace that we might obtain mercy God, we come into your throne room now, Father. I pray that your spirit would move in this place now. I pray that your sweet Holy Spirit would have freedom to rule and reign in here this morning, God. I pray that you'd move in a mighty way and break down some walls this morning, God. There are people, your children, that are bound by barriers. There are people that marriages are in trouble and sickness has taken hold and financial devastation has set in. There are people with problems that are too great for man to fix, but they're but a little thing to you, God. I pray this morning, would you mend some brokenness, God? Would you break some chains? Would you move some mountains? Would you heal some sickness, God? I pray that you'd make some ways where there is no way. Part some red seas, God. I pray you'd do only what you can do this morning. Would you speak to everyone in this place, everyone out by the way of airways? God, whoever it is, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each one according to their need. On this day, God, you've been good to us, Father. We love you, Father. We thank you. We praise you. We ask you above all, God, to help us to be pleasing to you. For it is our prayer this morning that you alone be pleased. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Matthew chapter number 1, we have the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. We get down to verse number 16. It says that Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. Now remember, Abraham is the father of the promise. The Abrahamic covenant is the beginning of the Hebrew nation. That's where it started. And from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the carrying away of Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away of Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. That's not just a verse. God didn't just toss in a couple of numbers. For those of you who are like myself and love to study the numerical perfection of the Word of God. That is a very important verse. There's a reason that he gives us 14, and the reason that he gives us three of them. Number one, 14. The number 14 always means deliverance. It is deliverance in the Word of God. Anytime you find the number 14, it's going to be talking about deliverance. Anytime you find the number 3, it's going to be talking about resurrection. The number 3 is the resurrection. It is spiritual perfection. It is Absolute completion in the things of God. Jesus Christ is the third 14. That means he is our spiritual perfection. He is the completion of the payment of our sin. He is our atonement. And through his resurrection, we have eternal life. It doesn't just accidentally give us three fourteens. It is pointing out that Jesus Christ is the one who made all of our sins pass away. All things became new. Verse number 18, still Matthew chapter 1, the birth of Jesus was on this wise. And when his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man not willing to make her public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She shall bring forth the son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, Behold a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth the son, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Now, when you get to the Gospel of Mark, he doesn't really tell us about Mary. He starts out the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But Luke gives us what we call the Christmas story. In the beginning of Luke there, we have a priest by the name of Zacharias. And we have his wife there, Elizabeth. She is barren and has no children. But it's important to pay attention to Luke chapter 1, verse number 6. Talking about them too, it says that they were both righteous before God, walking in all commandments and ordinances of the Lord Blameless. See, that's important because in that day, if you had no children, if you had an ailment, if you had a sickness, if you didn't have no money, if anything was going wrong, it's because you were a sinner. In that day, you were judged by the people around you. If there's anything in your life that's not right, then then you were a sinner, and that would have been a result. But the Word of God makes it very clear right here that's not the case because it says that they were both righteous before God, but Elizabeth has no children. The Bible says that when they were well stricken in years that an angel of the Lord came to Zacharias and he told him that Elizabeth was going to have a son and that he would be great. And then we have the story of John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in verse number 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The angel came into her and said, "Hail." Thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Fear not, Mary. Thou hast found favor with God. I want to pause right there for just a minute. Because in the book of Ezekiel chapter 22, God said, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap in the land before me, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. God said, I looked among my people for just one man. I looked among my people to find just one who was standing in the way. One who was standing righteous. One who put me first. One who put me foremost. One who I meant more to them than anything else in their life. I looked for one that I might spare all of them, but I found none. Isaiah chapter 6. God's looking for one again. In verse number 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said, Here am I. Send me. God never changes, never has, never will. If God sought a man in that day, if God sought a woman in Mary's day, then God is seeking somebody in this day that will put him first and foremost, that he will mean more to them than anybody else, that he will truly be the son of the living God, the Messiah that shines forth. If God looked for people then, God is looking for people now. Here in the book of Luke, God has sought out his children. He's found some honorable men and women. For Zacharias and Elizabeth, these are an honorable couple. And he sent them, John the Baptist, the forerunner to the Messiah. But then he's looked among his people for a woman that he might use to give birth to his only begotten son. And he found this woman named Mary. I wonder how it must have felt. To have an angel of the Lord appear and say, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. I wonder how it would feel for an angel of the Lord to show up and say, God loves you. God is very impressed with you. God looked down from heaven and smiled because of you. I was studying this morning. I had prayed in my office. I started studying, and God reminded me, you don't have no business studying this. You've not prayed enough. I prayed a little while longer. I went back to look, and I was looking at this, and I'll be honest, I didn't know if I would use this until right now. God showed me something in my office this morning, standing there looking. I was studying about Mary. I pray often. God, help me to do something to make you smile. Help help me to do something pleasing to you. I pray the same way you do. God, I just want to be pleasing to you. I I just want to live my life in a way that can be pleasing to you. I, I just want to make you smile. It dawned on me. Lord, show me that's what Mary did. She lived her life, not in a way to be seen by others. It doesn't say that this was a king's wife or that this was a princess. This is just a lowly little old Jewish woman sitting in the background, backdrop of nobody. You would have never heard her name mentioned in all of the history of humanity. But God looked down and said, I like the way you're living. I see a goodness in you. I see a wholeness in you. And I looked up and I saw something. Give me that first picture that says in 1928 the woman did that picture they got to find it. I sent it because I didn't know if I'd be using it. No, give me the other picture. So this one right here, I don't remember. Robin, who gave me that picture? Look, you remember? So I don't either. If you're in here, I'm so sorry. Thank you very much. It means so much to me. It's a centerpiece in my office, but I don't remember who gave it to me. I've had it for a lot of years, but you see what it says. She was inspired to take the Sermon on the Mount. So what she did, give me that other picture now. What she did, she wrote Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And there it is in its entirety. That is the Sermon on the Mount in its entirety. And what she did was she just, as you can see, she highlighted certain areas. It said that she was inspired of the Lord to do this. And she highlighted in certain areas. And this is the picture that we got. I saw something this morning in that. To be honest, it, it broke my heart. I was standing over here, and I was thinking about Mary and how God said that you're highly favored. And I thought, I want to be like that. I want Jesus to be able to look at me and smile. And I looked up at that picture, and anybody notice where he's looking? Over yonder. And I thought, I don't, I don't, you know, normally somebody won't even look at you, they ain't very happy with you. You know what I'm talking about? And, and... I thought, Lord, I I don't want that to be our relationship. I I don't want you to not be able to look on me. I don't want to be disappointed to you. I walked, I'll go ahead and tell you, you can't get there. I walked all the way around my office to the wall, and when I got to the wall over there, he was still looking over there looking down. I don't want to live my life that kind of way. I don't want to have to live my life in a way that Jesus Christ can't look on me. I want to live a life that it could be something like Mary right here. I want to give him my very best. And I haven't. I learned some things this weekend. I'll tell you a little more about it in a minute. But I'm not giving my very best. He is worthy of my very best. He is worthy of your very best. And for the most part, we are handing him leftovers. I don't know that there's anybody in here today that the Holy Spirit is going to come or that the angel Gabriel is going to pop up in our bedroom tonight and say, thou art highly favored among all the people. I want to be that way. And what I know is if Mary can be that way, we can be that way. But it takes a level of dedication to get there. I didn't know if I'd use that. I'm going to move on to the next one. If you want to turn in your Bibles, it's still going to be in the book of Luke chapter 13, but we have another woman. She doesn't call out to Jesus. Jesus calls out to her. Luke 13, verse number 10, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Now, it's not without a specific purpose. There are no coincidences in God's word or in God's, time or anything else if it says he's teaching in the synagogue there's a reason that it took time to point that out it says that there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself when jesus saw her he called her to him and said unto her woman thou art loosed from thine infirmity he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified god Jesus is teaching in the synagogue right off the bat. We know somebody else is there. Anybody want to tell me who it is? Pharisees. If he's in the synagogue teaching, we know that the religious crowd, you know, the who's who, the well-dressed that likes to point out everybody else's mistakes because they're all that in a bag of chips holier than that. You, you know that they're going to be there They're looking for something to accuse Jesus of. All they want to do is find some kind of dirt to throw on him. Jesus makes it clear of who he is by what he does, that he is Lord of the Sabbath. He's Lord over all things, Lord over the law, Lord over the Sabbath. He's not bound by rules. He's not bound by religion. Luke says that Jesus called her to him. If you remember last week, there was a woman with the issue of blood. She tried sneaking up behind Jesus in the middle of the street to touch him. There was a woman called in adultery that was brought and thrown down like a dog right there in front of him. There was a woman at the well who was an outcast in Samaria who Jesus came to meet her in the middle of the day. Here in this story, Jesus calls the woman to come to him. All I'm saying is it don't matter how you get to Jesus. Just get to Jesus. The woman... It says that she's been bound for 18 years that we know of. It says she's been bound of Satan. And then she spent her life looking down, looking at the ground. She's walked around bent over. All she sees is people's feet. God help her. I don't know if y'all know this, but feet really ain't the most attractive part of the human body. There are some people that love feet. God help you. We've got a messed up society. See, in this day, they didn't really have any choice. All they had was some sandals. Most of them were probably barefooted. They didn't really have cloth toed shoes, and nice shoes, and I'm fixing to kill the whole sermon. But summer's coming. That's when some people, y'all need to get some tennis shoes and wear some toes in your shoes because they have some jacked up feet walking around. Can you imagine what kind of ugly life you live in if all you get to see is people's feet? Glory to God, what could you possibly have to smile about? She's walking around for 18 years. She has been looking down bound because of this infirmity. There are a lot of people in today's world who are walking around looking at the ground. Not because of a physical infirmity, but because the world's told you that you're not enough. So they walk around defeated. They walk around beaten down. People walk around feeling rejected looking at the ground. Even David said in the 40th Psalm, verse number 12, Innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head. Therefore, my heart faileth me. Now, that was in chapter 40. If you look back at chapter 5, he says, Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my king, my God, for unto thee will I pray. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. But in chapter 40, it is people that is causing David to look at the ground. Amen. It is people. Things that people are saying, things that people are doing, unnecessary burdens that people are putting on David walking around looking at the ground. Psalm 121, the Bible says it's a song of degrees. That means it's actually a song that they sing, and degrees means it's a worship. So they're singing a worship song. So for all those of you who say it's got to be hymns and you can't sing worship music, you need to read Psalm 121 among many others. It is a song of worship. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. Don't let the world around you determine which way you look. Depression, rejection, unimportant, anxiety, no matter what it is, Bring it to the feet of Jesus. Let Jesus touch you and you shall be made straight so that you no longer have to be bowed down. Don't let the world tear you down. You are a child of the living God. Look up. We have everything to be excited about. And if you don't know anything else to be excited about, flip over to the tail end of the book and read it. Because it's all about you in what God's going to do for us. What we see here in the story is that Jesus is breaking their religious rules. He's healing this woman here. He, he calls her forward. And I really don't want to do this, but I kind of have to do this. I, I need to to make sure that we understand what Jesus has done that, that irritates these Pharisees so bad. There, there was no women's lib in this day. There was no equal rights amendment in this day. People people have been neglected and rejected the entire human race. People have been cast out. People that are God's children that God loves, that Jesus died for, that God said he is able to exceeding abundantly above all that they could ask or think, that God loves them with all of his heart, have been rejected by others. That was the case of women in the day. Even the Jews did it. See, here in the synagogue, the men had their place up front. They could all stand around in the front. The women had to stay in the back. If there was room, they could come inside. If not, they had to stand outside. But the women weren't allowed to come down to the front. So here's what I see. Jesus had all these men that thought they were something special standing in the front of the church. And he had all these women standing back there in the back of the church. And if that ain't enough, most of the women could stand up straight. But one of them was bowed down. One of them was bent over This isn't somebody that stands out in the crowd. Anybody get where I'm going with this? That means Jesus had to have been looking for somebody to do something for. He had to overlook all of these men. He had to overlook all of the other women that were upright. Jesus was looking for somebody to do something special for. Remember what I said, God never changes. God's eyes are hoovering this campus right now looking for somebody broken, somebody bent over, somebody in need, somebody that's not standing up in the front but hooped over in the back. God's looking for somebody today to do something special for. He calls her down front. That means that these men have to get out of her way. they got to make an aisle. they got to let this stooped over woman Come down front. Jesus calls the woman up. He looses her from her bonds. He puts his hands over her and she stands up. The Bible says that she glorified God, but not everybody's happy about that. There are some people in the church bent out of shape. The number 18 in the Word of God always means bondage. So the Bible gives us specifically 18 years. That means for 18 years she has been bound. She has been in the bondage that Satan has put in. She is bound up and can in no wise lift herself up. But Jesus did a miracle. Jesus broke the bonds, Jesus set her up straight. And the disciples have all been out of shape about it. See, the disciples are a religious group here, they're a real churchy crowd, they got all the law. They were more interested in keeping the binding of their law than they were God releasing someone from the chains that bind them. They were more worried about keeping things in a religious order than opening things up and let the Holy Spirit of God move through and break some chains for some people. Brokenness comes in a lot of forms. You don't have to have kyphosis and be bent over at the back to be looking at the ground. There, there's a lot of things in this life that cause people to be bent over. There are a lot of things in this life that can cause us to walk around rejected and dejected and looking at the ground with a broken heart or a broken spirit. You may not be bent over physically, there's some people in here that's bent over spiritually, there's some people here that's bent over emotionally. There's some people out there this morning that wouldn't mind being here today, but they're so bound by what's going on in their life. They're watching on live stream because that's the best they could get because they couldn't get here. Everybody deals with something. Let let me me just say this. I'll move on. When when God shows up in your storm, when, when God shows up and answers your prayer, when God makes a way in your life Where there is no way. Maybe I need to pause right there. Anybody ever had God make a way out of no way? Anybody in here right now have a no way in your life? And you need for God to make a way? When God shows up and makes a way out of no way, everybody ain't going to be happy about it. Don't let the jealousy of somebody else rob you of your joy. God did something for you. Let them know the Bible says that she glorified God. You churchy people, do all you want. You churchy people, be mad if you want. You churchy, holier than thou, well-dressed, religious people, frown and be bent out of shape if you want. But I'm going to glorify God. I've been bound for 18 years. God showed up and made a way when there was no way. I'm going to glorify God. Amen. Goes on, says the ruler of the synagogue, answered with indignation because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, and said unto the people, "There are six days in which men ought to work; in them, therefore, come and be healed, not on the Sabbath day." The Lord asked them and said, "Thou hypocrite, Ooh. Ooh. doth not each one of you?" on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? Ought not this woman, being the daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Amen. Whew, when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Jesus not only loosed her of her bond. But he silenced the adversaries. He took care of her problem and everything around her. Still in the book of Luke, I want to look at just a couple more women. The Bible gives us their names. There are several Marys associated with the life of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to get into all of them. I just want to look here at a couple in the story. Luke 18, verse number 1. It says, It came to pass after that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. But first, number 2 says, See, that's no surprise there, the 12 were with him. How many of you, we've been raised in church, I've been in church a long time. We picture Jesus walking around with 12 men, right? It's him and 12 others. Yeah, that's not exactly right. The, The Bible talks about multitudes. Remember, he sent out 70 others also. They had the same anointing as the 12. Remember that? Two by two, carry neither person nor script, and if any man wants it, he shake the dust off of thy feet against testimony against them. Those 70 had the same thing as the 12. They were sent out by Jesus Christ. But what we see right here in verse number 2 is that certain women, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, Herod, Stuart, and Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto him of their substance. All throughout my life, I've been given this picture of Jesus Christ walking around with these 12 men. And indeed, he did. The men were with him. But here we see that that there's women traveling with him on many occasions. And not just traveling, but the Bible says that they use their substance to take care of him. They're putting what they have on the line to take care of. Of Jesus. Now we don't know a lot about Mary Magdalene's first encounter with Jesus. We know that she had seven evil spirits. We know that they've been cast out, and we know that from that moment forward, I could pause and preach right here because a lot of us have had some demons cast out. A lot of us are saved. i pray that all of us are saved, born again, children of the living God, had old things passed away, all of our sins washed away. A lot of us have been set free from some evil spirits. From that day forward, she glorified God. From the day that she was saved, from the day that she was set free on, she follows the Son of God. She does everything that she can to minister to the one that came and saved her. So something to point out here at the night of the crucifixion. We know that, that Jesus had the Lord's Supper in the upper room. Paul and his men, all of you, thank you for your hard work, getting ready If he's alive in the upper room, is the Lord's Supper. We know that Jesus dined with the twelve. We know that Jesus told them that one of you has a devil and will reject me on this night. We know that Jesus told Peter that you're going to deny me three times before the cock even crows in the morning. But, but what we see there is that all of them rejected him. See, I just I, I saw this. The staff and I, almost the whole staff, our wives, everybody, we've spent the last two days over at Rock Springs Church. We went to y'all's house. We we were over at Rock Springs, and and Pastor Benny Tate preached three times. He preached Friday night. He preached Sunday morning. He preached yesterday afternoon. but, But one of the things that he talked about is how people talk about other people. I said, one of the things he talked about is how people talk about other people. It it was a leadership training conference, so he was talking to church leaders, church staff, to pastors and pastors wives. He was talking to leaders, but what what he was making clear is that people are going to talk about you. People are going to tear you down. People are going to have their own little things to say. And he he talked about how people just love to tear others down. But here's what he said. He said, when somebody comes to me and says, Pastor Benny, so-and-so said so-and-so about you. And he talks about it, or they tell your wife, or they tell somebody about what well, somebody said that is bad about you. He said, I'm not concerned about what they said. What I'm concerned about is why are they so comfortable saying it to you? Why do they feel that they can come to you and tear him down or her down, and you don't set them straight? He said to not say anything, you said a mouthful. Because to not stand up and defend the one they're talking about by being silent, what that means is I agree with what's being said, whether you do or not. I agree with what's being done, whether you do or not. The reason that stood out, because I had been studying this before I ever left, and what happens right here is the disciples don't say a word. They don't stand up for Jesus. So to be silent is not standing up. For him, So what we see is that all of them have rejected Jesus Christ. After the crucifixion, after the burial, after Joseph of Arimathea, and Nicodemus has helped him, and they've wrapped the body, and they put it with spices. They've carried it, and they've, they've placed it inside the tomb, and, and um, Pilate has had a stone put in front of the tomb, and he's got guards guarding it. The men, the disciples, are hiding in an upper room they are hiding out like a bunch of scared little boys that just got told a ghost story at night around a campfire they're scared to death that they're going to come get them but the women are out in the dark because it says they got to the sepulcher at sunrise so the women are headed to the tomb they know that the roman guards are there they know why jesus was crucified They know that anybody that sides with Jesus ain't going to be liked. They know that there's a tomb, that there's a stone placed in front of that tomb that nobody can get in and nobody can get out. As they're walking, they talk about it. Who are we going to get to roll the stone away? You know what that tells me? They know for sure that the Roman guards ain't going to do nothing to help out some little Jewish women, so they find themselves in a spot. But what we find out is that they are headed to the tomb. The the men are scared. Mark chapter 16 says in verse number 1 that when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had bought. They've gone and bought with their money. They've bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came to the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. See, that means they left when it was still dark. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1 says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Verse number 5 there in Matthew 28 says, That the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear ye not, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He's not here. He's risen, as he said. Come, see the place. Where the Lord lay. But look at verse number seven. Go quickly and tell his disciples. Go quickly and tell his disciples. They went and told the disciples. The text tells us that Peter and John ran to the sepulchre. We know that John's faster than Peter because it says that John ran on ahead so he outran him the the the, the account given there <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm going to read this in chapter 20 of the book of John verse number 10 but but I need to say something right here Jesus didn't reveal himself to thou art Peter the the rock upon I'll build my church. Jesus doesn't reveal himself to John, the one who laid in his bosom, the one whom he loveth. Chapter 20, verse 10, John, the disciples went away again unto their own home, so they left. Mary stood without the sepulcher, weeping. As she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeth two angels in white, sitting one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. They said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith them because they've taken away my Lord. I know not where they've laid him. When she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her woman, Why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She supposed him to be the gardener. Saith him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus said to her, Touch me not, for I'm not yet a to the Father, but go tell my brethren and say unto them, I send unto my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Mary Magdalene and the other women come to the tomb early, but Jesus wasn't there. So they ran back, told the disciples, Peter and John, they run there. John gets there first. He stops at the entrance of the tomb. He's looking in. When Peter catches up, he runs right on in. John comes there with him, and and the tomb is empty. Jesus isn't there, but the linen was. The linen that they had wrapped his body in, the things they put in, it says that the linen was there, and it says that the napkin was folded and laid to the side. I know that probably every one of you have heard this, but if there's one of you in here that hasn't, it's worth telling just so you understand this. I heard this preached over 30 years ago from Pastor Ike Reichert. He he laid this out and preached a sermon about the folding of the napkin. But it was Jewish custom in the day. When the Jews were sitting there eating at the table, they had their napkin in their lap. If they had to get up and catch a a phone on the cell phone, you know, catch a call, they had to get out and go to the restroom. They had to get up and walk away from the table for a minute. They were to take their napkin and fold it neatly and lay it to the side. If they took their napkin and laid it over the plate, that meant I'm done. You can take my plate. You can take all my stuff. I won't be back. But if they took their napkin and they folded it neatly and they laid it to the side, that meant I've stepped away for a moment, but I'll be back. Jesus symbolically folding that napkin. They didn't accidentally write that in the text. That's not a misprint. Jesus took time to make sure that it said when they went in, they found that napkin folded neatly to the side because what Jesus said when he folded that napkin is, I'm not done here yet. I'll be back. And when I come back, I'm going to make all things new. I'm going to make all things good. They found the napkin. They looked around, and then it says that they went on back to the house. Ain't nothing else here to see. Tomb's empty. Stone's rolled away. Jesus is gone. Might as well go on back to the house. Not Mary Magdalene. The Bible says that she stayed there, and she's weeping, and that the two angels stood there at each end of where Jesus' body was laying, and they asked her, "Why, why are you crying? She says, they've taken away my Lord. They, they, they've taken away my Lord. Where, where have they put him? And, and she turns around and she sees another. She thinks the gardener, the caretaker of the tomb, the caretaker of the property, and, and, and thinking it's the caretaker. She says, just tell me where you put him, and, and I'll go get him. Jesus asked her, why, why weepest thou? Who, who is it that you're looking for? She says, I'm looking for my Lord. Jesus didn't go to the disciples. He went to the one that was looking for him. He went to the one that was broken. He went to a woman who the men considered second class. He told her, you go tell my disciples that I'm going to the house of my father and your father. I'm going to the house of my God and your God. The first person that Jesus ever revealed himself to as the Messiah, we looked at it last week, was that Samaritan woman at the well that was there in the heat of the day. Jesus went to where she was. He came to her in her time of need. He came to her in her trouble, in her trial, in the heat of the day. He came to give her what she needed. And she says, hey, we know that when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us all these things. He said, I am he. The very first one that Jesus ever revealed himself to in the scriptures is this broken woman who is a Samaritan. She is rejected by the Samaritans, so she's considered the lowest of the low. Jesus came to where she was, and he gave her what she needed. The first person that Jesus shows himself to after the resurrection, see, this just shows that God's a lot better than me. I would have had to went to the Pharisees. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> told you, told you. Pilot, hey, pilot, hey, hey, chump. You messed up, dude. See me? See that scar? Mm-hmm. I got your name, buddy. Bad for you. I, I would have probably went to the room. I would have messed with the disciples some. I hear them, and they're talking. Who you think it is? I don't know. Who you think it? I don't know. Somebody peek out the window. What window? Ain't no window. a wooden door. Somebody cracked the door. I ain't no cracking no door. Finally, one of them peeks outside. They say, ain't nobody out there. And they say, whoo, man, we thought it was a guard. And he say, <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about? I, I would have had to mess with them some. Jesus, Jesus didn't go mess with the disciples. When I finally did walk in, I said, what are y'all hiding about? Didn't I tell you I'd be back in three days? Anybody been counting? Where's your faith? No, Jesus went to the woman that was looking for him. Jesus went to the one that was broken. He went to the one that was hurt, and he said, You go tell my disciples. People that seem of no importance to those around them. People that have been put down by the world, people that have been cast aside by society, written off as done. One of them came, snuck up and touched him from the back. One of them was thrown down at his feet in accusation of the sin that she had committed and treated like a stray dog. One of them, Jesus, went to a well in the middle of the day just to meet her where she was. One of them was called out of the back and brought forward because she needed help. One of them is someone who was bound up by seven evil spirits and had them cast out. But they're not alone. There was a man at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus went and asked him, do you want to be healed? He's he's like, sure I do, but how can I be? Every time the angel stirs the water, somebody gets in before I can and I can't be healed. Jesus said, You don't need an angel. You don't need the water. The healer is here. The one you need is asking you a question Would you like to be healed? I'm just telling you that Jesus is there for everybody. The ten lepers stood there hollering out. Jesus said, what do you want? They said, be cleansed. He said, go, show yourself unto the priest." And as they went, they were cleansed. Blind Bartimaeus hollering out, Jesus, Messiah, Hosanna, Son of David. People said, be quiet. Jesus is close by. He said, why do you think I'm hollering, you nut? I heard somebody say Jesus was coming. I heard he's here. I'm blind. I can't see. I'm going to keep on. The more they told him to be quiet, the louder he shouted. You got some people in your life telling you Jesus ain't enough. Your religion ain't enough. Your God ain't enough. You need to scream a little bit louder because with all that was going on, all Jesus heard was a blind man crying out. And he stopped in the middle of the crowd, in the middle of the street, and put off everybody else and said, what can I do for you. He said that I might receive my sight and he was healed. Zacchaeus climbed a tree because he just wanted to see Jesus. The disciples were out in a boat in the middle of a storm. The Bible says that Jesus saw him from the mountain where he was praying. And they're out there in the middle thinking they're all I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what your situation is. Jesus is enough. He'll come to wherever you are. It doesn't matter who you are. There's nobody in here that desired Jesus that he did not come to. Jesus cares about you. Jesus cares about your situation. If it matters enough to you to talk to him, then it matters enough to him to meet you where you are. Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify to you in these things in the churches, I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him that heareth say, Come. Let him that is a thirst, come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. There are some of you, Greg, you guys come on for the song. There, there are some of you who are bound, there are some of you dealing with sickness, dealing with heartache, dealing with problems, situations, circumstances. Some of you dealing with things you have no way out. And some of us know that. You've shared those things. You've you've put out prayer requests. You've asked us to pray with you about situations. There's some of you in here that you're dealing with some stuff in here, and there ain't nobody in here knows nothing. You're broken inside and you're holding it all in there because you're too proud to let anybody know you're hurting. You're too proud to let anybody know that, that the world's beat you down. It doesn't matter what you got. Jesus says, whosoever will, let him come. If you're broken inside, it doesn't matter if the world around you knows it or not. Jesus does. Jesus may just be looking over this crowd right now, scanning, looking for a slumped-over person in the back to stand up, to help. Whatever your problem, whatever it is, God's not limited by one. The Bible says that when he was in town that day healing, they brought all manner of sick from all the villages. That means they brought them from Hogan'sville. They brought them from Franklin over in Greenville. They, they, they brought them from up in Noonan and down in Columbus. They were coming down out of Atlanta. That was a traffic jam coming down. i paid a lot of them need help up there. They, they were coming from everywhere because it was noise that Jesus was in the house. And when Jesus was <laughs> in the house, things happened. See, in, in this story here with this woman, we have the story about the one woman. But what we see is that every time Jesus is present, the multitudes are healed. He's worried about yours. He's worried about you. And he'll meet you where you are. I'm going to ask everybody, if you would, to stand. These guys are going to sing a song. But whatever you're facing, Jesus is enough. Whatever you have inside, Jesus is enough. Whether anybody knows about it, whether everybody knows about it, or whether nobody knows about it, Jesus is enough. Just bringing problems never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior that's your first step that you need Jesus Christ is the son of the living God he says that that I am the way the truth and the life no man comes unto the Father but by me he is the only way to salvation none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved his name is Jesus Christ he's the only way are you willing today if you've never been saved maybe you're watching on live stream I don't know this may be a Thursday night at midnight and I don't know when somebody will watch this on a recording. It doesn't matter. God's Word is never void, and it's always effective. Whenever or wherever, right now, if you're willing to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, confess your sins with your own mouth. Confess that He is Lord and ask Him to forgive you of your sins and to save your soul. He is faithful and just. If you'll surrender your heart to Him to save your soul, wash away all your sins, and write your name down in heaven.